Hi there, Neil here. Obviously, you love to travel. That's why you're listening to this podcast. Circa, our app available right now from the App Store on iOS, is filled with podcasts and guides for travelers. But more than that, it has a feature that we're calling the Circa Concierge, where you can have any question about any place you're traveling answered by real people on the ground. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And hey, if you've got questions about Barcelona, you might even get me. Because I love to help people discover my city. And if you're the same way for the city where you live, then we want you to become part of the Circa Concierge too. Right now, we're searching for concierges in Barcelona, Rome, London, Paris, Madrid, Venice, and New York City. Don't see your city listed? That's okay. We'll be rolling out new cities throughout the year, and yours might just be next. If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the first episode where neither myself or Andres know what we're about to hear. Well, I know where we're going, but that's it. Today, everyone... (laughs) We're going to Greenland <laughs> with me, your host, Billy Gregan, too. A destination isn't always a place. Sometimes it's a new way of seeing things. I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos. From Frequency Machine, this is Passport. Your ticket to everywhere. <laughs> largest island, Greenland, is a harsh, unforgiving place. Its 56,000 inhabitants have to deal with a lot. Isolation, the blistering cold, and ice. You see, despite the name, Greenland is mostly ice. 80% of it, in fact. The ice cap that sits in the center holds 7% of all of the fresh water on the planet. But Greenland is so much more than an icy bowl. It's starkly, terribly beautiful. Even old Donald Trump has a soft spot for the country. Well, Greenland, I don't know, it got released somehow. It's just something we talked about. Denmark essentially owns it. We're very good allies with Denmark. We protect Denmark like we protect large portions of the world. The expected $533 billion price tag and the fact that the place wasn't really on the market didn't really phase him when he tried to buy it back in 2019. So the concept came up and I said, certainly I'd be strategically, it's interesting. 
but uh, we're looking at it. It's not number one on the burner. But with the country looking to increase accessibility and grow tourism starting this year, the focus will surely be on the thrill seekers. Insane winter sports at the top of the bill with hunting, hiking, and fishing coming right behind. But if you're thinking of making the trip, you need to be aware. There are scarier things here than polar bears or blizzards. There are monsters in this place. So many monsters. Today on Passport, Billy Craig and Toon takes a look at how the past, present, and future of Greenland is equally touched, tainted, and blessed by the spirits, ghosts, and monsters of this truly incredible place. There's this idea that the further north you go mm-hmm. in the world, yeah. the scarier the stories get. Interesting premise. Back when we used to live around campfires in colder places, uh, where it's darker, where the wilderness is more dangerous, mm. it's far more important to make sure that the kids or anyone doesn't stray too far away from the campfire. And then I thought, Greenland's pretty far north. I bet they've got some good ghost stories. Um, I discovered way more about the country yeah. and, and its monsters and what they mean today than I was ever expecting. No, it's a reputation of the people of Greenland because it's so remote and so new. They're a sort of a hardy people and that's, you know... Understand, yeah, there doesn't need to be, you know, they're survivors and they live in a place where you kind of have to survive on a daily basis. But that because of that, they're also a sort of um, roll your sleeves up and get on with it. When myself and my interviewees were recording, we were both in quarantine and we were reflecting on those experiences. For most people in Greenland, this is just exactly the same. <laughs> you know, people are used to being told that they can't leave their homes for a couple of days. That they're kind of they're unfazed by the types of things that we'd be phased by. Right. Yeah. They don't get hung up on the same shit that we get hung up on. You know, if their plans get fucked with, uh, that's, a, that's a normal part of life. You know, whereas we're like, what? I, I can't go. <laughs> Drink a beer in a terrace? (laughs) It's raining. It's raining. We can't go outside. (laughs) I like where we're headed. I mean, this sounds like a very moody kind of, you know. Sounds amazing. Yeah. We're heading into the land of monsters and ice. There's definitely both of those things. Look, he's excited. Look at his face. I don't know why. Let's take a look at Greenland on a map. That huge, ominous block of pure sheet ice, cold, empty and dark for half of the year, is the ideal location for a ghost story. I was about 17 and I remember this breaking as a story and everyone just being mortified. And I remember emailing my mom, like, what is going on? And she was like, I can't even begin to tell you what's going on. It was January 2003 in Greenland's capital city of Nuuk. The city was in wintertime, covered in snow, icy cold. Greenland, a member of the Faroe Islands that shares rule with its colonial leader, Denmark, had recently elected a new Greenlandic coalition government. There had just been an overturn within the party 
that had been in charge in Greenland for the past, I think, 30 years at the time. There were a lot of odd ideas going about, and the election that led up to this had been the first one that really took in the idea of criticizing the earlier government for not being critical enough of the Danish rule in Greenland. The stability of this new coalition was put to the test when Jens Libert, a high-ranking politician appointed as acting director for Greenland's home rule, hired the services of a spiritual healer to perform a cleansing ceremony of a government building. Greenland's political scene was beginning to feel more like an episode of Stranger Things. My own mother worked in the government at that time. I asked her about it, and she did this shudder thing. And the thing is that it just, it sort of happened without being approved anywhere. During the ceremony, the healer reportedly felt vibrations of conflict between Danish colonialists and Greenlandic home rule government members. Greenland has been a colony of Denmark since the early 1700s. Jens's decision to hold a seance in this way was widely taken to be a direct attack on the Danish presence in Greenland. If this had been sold as a cleansing, like a holistic, ritualistic cleansing of a building, that would have been passive-aggressive on its own. But the fact that it was worded against a group of people, an ethnicity, a part of our history, felt very aggressive. His actions outraged and embarrassed the nation. Along with two other colleagues, Jens was fired. Eight members of parliament pulled their support from the coalition government, which, unable to cope with the controversy and internal quarrelling, totally collapsed. We've all seen a lot of political protests, and a lot of people rise up against their colonial ruling governments. I mean, that's how America got to be America. So what is it about Greenland that a political protest of their colonial rulers takes the form of a spiritual cleansing along the lines of a seance? While it was considered to be out of the ordinary and frankly, out of order for a Greenlandic politician to act in this way, it's true to say that Greenland has a unique relationship with superstition and the spirit world. I got in touch with Maria Kreutzmann, a visual artist who a few years ago began a monster hunt, searching for the hidden parts of Greenlandic mythology. She wanted to restore and preserve a part of her culture that she cherished but felt was under threat of being forgotten. She uncovered hundreds of ghosts, spirits, creatures, each with his own history, meaning and cultural significance. And along with a team of artists and historians, she documented and beautifully illustrated these creatures into the first book of its kind, the Bestiarium Grunlandica, or Greenlandic Bestiary. I felt very much that the creatures came to me because they wanted to be preserved. A lot of the drawings I did, we had never seen illustrated before, but I felt like they were allowing me to illustrate them because of what I saw in the mind's eye and that my ancestors were kind of guiding me to try and interpret these monsters. I couldn't help but think that Maria might be the perfect person to go exploring with. I kind of want to do like a little bit of myth busting 
Because I read a couple of times at least that lots of Greenlandic people today believe in ghosts and spirits. Is there truth in that? Is that or is that just nonsense? That is very, very, very true. Greenland is a very superstitious culture. You know how when you say you're afraid of ghosts as a child, then your parents might go, you know, ghosts aren't real. And it wasn't like that for me. My mother is Danish and my dad's Greenlandic. And when I was little, if I was afraid of ghosts, he would just be like, just recognize their existence. It's going to be fine. Like, I would never go outside and whistle at the Aurora because everybody up here knows that that is, you know, a death sentence because the spirits of the... Whistle at the Aurora. Whistle. Yeah, the, the Northern Lights. You don't whistle at the Northern Lights because the Northern Lights are the spirits of our ancestors and they will come down and rip your head off and play ball with it. Maria has infinite ghost stories. Listening to her talk about them, it's striking how a part of everyday life they are. There was one creature she would repeatedly mention called the the mountain wanderer. A fearsome troll-like being who roams the mountains alone, possessed by the spirit world and dangerous to humans. Until Maria's book, this creature had never been depicted in images. In Maria's version, the Kavittuk is a faceless ghoul, wearing a shaggy hooded cloak with glowing red eyes. There's a really fun story about a couple who lived in a small settlement up north in the center of town. And they had this big problem where people would come all the time to either look for somebody or borrow sugar or whatever. And sometimes in the night, people would be knocking and they were really, really tired of it. So they moved to another house on the outskirts of the city. And immediately, the moment they moved to the new house, nobody was knocking on their door. They thought it was so weird. They started asking, what's going on? Why is nobody coming knocking on our house anymore? It's nice that we don't get woken up, but we miss people. The couple, knowing very little about the creatures feared most by Greenlandic locals, suddenly found themselves living in a no-go area. And it turns out that that house was far away enough that if you went there alone, the Qivitut mountain walkers would take you. Perhaps more than anywhere, ghosts, monsters and spirits play a pivotal role in the shape of life in modern Greenland, a society that has experienced a rapid and intense change in the later part of the 20th century. We are a culture of constant change. So much has happened in terms of the modern era coming up here. Greenland today is a thoroughly modern place. In the capital city of Nuuk, you'll find restaurants, clubs, bars, cinemas and chain coffee shops like you would anywhere else. It has a promising tourism industry. Greenland boasts some of the most epic and beautiful landscapes you'll find anywhere in the world that the country is capitalising on. If you visit the southern part of the country during the summer, the temperature can rise to more than 20 degrees Celsius. That's 68 degrees Fahrenheit. And due to the fine air quality and low levels of moisture, you're able to see super far into the distance. The winter gets a little bit colder, like minus 50 degrees cold. However, it's this time of year that you'll get the best views of the northern lights. And Nuuk is pretty much entirely powered on renewable energy, making it arguably more modern than many of its international counterparts. So, why are Greenlanders still holding on to their ghosts and their monsters? (laughs) 
we're a very, very old country, but we are a young culture. And that's actually where the difference is. You know how they say Africa is the cradle of life? If Africa is the cradle of life, we're the womb. The oldest bacteria in the world has been found in Greenland. An old country, but a young nation. This is because although there are traces of people in Greenland that go back 5,000 years, modern Greenland's ancestors, the Tool people, only arrived during the 1300s, having migrated from Canada. Today we know native Greenlanders as Inuits, although as Maria explains, it's not a simple term to define. We have a very small percentage of what I would call true Inuits up here. Record keeping wasn't exactly sophisticated back then. And we also had some really, really fun traditions <laughs> up here. So in the olden times, we had something called which basically means the turning down of the lamps. So during the winter and you were really bored and you were just stuck in your hut, you would have kind of like a sexual social game where people would have these beautiful lamp, the qushlaks, and you would turn the lamps off. And then you would have a orgy. And it was a way for people to release stresses, but it was also a way to welcome travelers into your community. You know, you would meet and you would eat and they'd be like, let's turn off the lamps and let's have some good times, you know, and you would basically not know who you were mixing with. And it was a way to also interchange genes. And when you would have an outside traveler come to a very small community of maybe 20 people, our ancestors knew that it was a good idea to mix the bloodlines. Wow. So the orgy, the coming yum nook, I think I've got it down. <laughs> that that was not laugh, but you just changed was... personalities as you said that. <laughs> I just he's yeah. thinking about orgies. It's almost the weekend. Um, <laughs> that was, I think, the first thing that Maria said to me. Really? Wow. We That's where you guys phone. started? We were on the phone for about, I think, I mean, I can check the interview record time, but I'm pretty sure it was like five minutes max. She was she like, was great, man. Do you want to talk about orgies? <laughs> <laughs> There's like a Wicker Man midsummer totally. horror film to totally. be made there, like an, an unsuspecting backpacker. It's totally. just like, there he is, the one from the outside. Come to our party. <laughs> Get him, I mean, girls. There's a porno to be made there as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've had quite a few conversations now. Um because I keep on going back for more, just like, tell me, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was one of the first things she told me, and I kind of knew that I was like, this is a special place. And that's the fun of it. Maria put me in touch with her best friend, historian, and cultural queen of knowledge, Uyemiwa Engel. My name is Uyemi. I am a professional nerd. There are traces of people in Greenland going back 5,000 years, mainly nomadic travelers and descendants of Vikings who scratched out a hard tribal life on the island but none were able to successfully settle there for more than a few hundred years. I asked Uyemiwa why it took until her ancestors for people to successfully populate the world's biggest island. I usually say that the Tula culture is the first culture in Greenland to really live and not just survive on a daily basis. The one thing that really made them step ahead of everybody else was the fact that they had invented traveling devices. They had the kayak and the umiak, which is like an open boat, and the dog sled, obviously. The ability to mobilize meant they could take advantage of the wide expanse of land they were living on. With kayaks, you could go hunting for days and come back with a whole bunch of fish, a bit of seal, maybe even a whale. And then you could just, you know, hang out with your family, hang out with your wife, have additional kids, you know, stuff like that. 
And it's so evident in every part of their culture that they had this extra time because they created a lot more. Every time we put a shovel in the ground, we'll find some sort of toy or some sort of like arrows that they could just sit and, and fiddle with until they were like perfect. And the fact that the tall people were able to adapt and survive and even thrive in Greenland is actually incredible when you think about it. Because frankly, living in Greenland is bonkers. Here's Maria again. It's the most extreme place you can be, really. It's where it will go dark for three months in the winter. You will have the sun out three months in the summer. It gets extremely cold. We have something called Bitarak, which is an extreme kind of storm. There's these winds that blow in from the inland ice and then blow out over the eastern side of Greenland, and it is crazy. I was about six years old, and we had to go from one place to another, and they had to tie a rope around me to make sure that I wasn't blown away. Nothing even grows in Greenland. There's no trees, no fields. Just rocky mountains, minus 50 temperatures, and endless barren ice. We had these people from London, I think, and they were quite shocked to see... We tend to litter here in Greenland, and they were so shocked to see that we would litter because, you know, you have to protect Mother Nature. And it occurred to me that we have wildly different understanding of what Mother Nature, like if you have to personify the nature, in Europe she tends to be this beautiful, dainty creature with long, green, flowy hair. And here she is, quite frankly, a bitch who's not only trying to kill you, but is wanting to kill you all the time. And when you live in a world that seemingly wants you dead, you're going to start to ask why. See you after the break for more myths, monsters, and how the future of Greenland is incorporating them into new tales. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Myths hold sway in the places where they're needed most. To have any semblance of control over their environment, the Inuits developed a strict belief system, a system that involved spirits and monsters, incarnations of the terrors of nature, beings that they could refer to when things got difficult. For example, the origins of the Kvittok, the mountain wanderer who we spoke about earlier, come from the fact that people would often want or need to leave the community. If somebody did something that was really shameful, they would be ostracized by the community or they would choose to ostracize themselves. But since leaving the community would have meant certain death, if that person were to survive, it would have meant they must have made some kind of deal with the spirits, trading their soul for dangerous superpowers. 
the spirit world was on top of the human world, but it was a dangerous place. It was a vicious place. And the spirits were tricksters and dangerous to the humans to uphold the balance between the, the spirit world and the human world. You had to abide by a billion different odd rules and rights and taboos. The rules helped make sense of a chaotic world. They meant you could take back some control. But, as is often the case, women were most subjected to these rules. Everything from childbirth and menstruation to what they could eat and how had to be done a very specific way. And if you didn't abide, things would go wrong. And it would be on you. And some of these rules got pretty intense. If a child died... It couldn't die inside of the hut that you were living in at the time. It had to die outside so that the spirit of the children didn't become malicious spirits. But there was also a taboo around touching a dead person. So the mother would have to carry out a dying child and sit with it until it died. And then having touched a dead person, that would have tainted you. And the only way that you could ensure that nothing bad would happen and that the spirits wouldn't come back was to not speak to this one person for a full year. And this person would always have to be facing away from everybody and not speak to anybody. So in one of the most awful circumstances of life, a thing that nobody wants to experience, this parent would have to go through that entire trauma on their own. That is brutal. That's a, that's a turn that Oof. hurt. Yeah, it's, it's just so hard. Three hundred, four hundred year old stories of you know nursery rhymes and fables and things. That Ring around the rosy and all this. Yeah, mm. you know where they actually come from, and instead of using it to scare and to you know have quote unquote cautionary tales for children to stop them from crossing the road or going into the woods or whatever, mm. to have that. At, at the extent that it exists in a country like Greenland, for it to go that way, <laughs> yeah, for it to go into superstitious to the point mm. of craziness is 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 shocking. But it's also it also kind of makes sense because this is it. you have to if the weather is that extreme, if the place you live is that extreme, your attitudes have to be as extreme. Yeah, yeah. The first Danish missionary arrived in Greenland during the 1700s. His name was Hans Poulsen Ild, a fanatical Christian who was obsessed with finding the Vikings, who by that point had long since died. Disappointed to have only found settlements of Inuits up and down the coast, Hans decided to cut his losses and focus his energies instead on saving these strange people from their odd spirits and monsters with the good word of the Bible. This began the unique colonisation of the Greenlandic people, unique in the sense that it didn't mirror any other typical colonization story. It didn't involve armed forces pointing guns at people and forcing them into schools and churches. It did involve corporal punishment, perceived to be the norm during the 1700s. But no one was pointing guns at anyone. And for many people, the introduction of Christianity was a way of setting yourself free from an incredibly restrictive taboo system. He presented them this idea that there aren't like a million different evil spirits. There's really just three spirits and they're very good 
and they're very forgiving and you just have to be good and kind. This was a major selling point to the women for whom the current system was not working at all. I had this mental image of, of women just running into a church. And once the women sort of took that to heart, the men followed because they always do. <laughs> I actually love that story that Christianity was a source of female empowerment. It's so baffling, but it's a really interesting aspect of how Christianity was brought up here because a lot of the women and the indigenous peoples weren't forced. However, this was still colonization, and with it came a lot of problems. To name just a few, there was a measles outbreak that wiped out the vast majority of the population. Then, rather than following game where it went, people were suddenly huddled around churches, which meant they overhunted the areas they occupied, leading to periods of prolonged and serious hunger. And ultimately, it pushed one set of ideas on a people. It began a process that would change Inuit life forever. Culture was shifting into Christianity, which meant everything needed to adapt. And along with everything else, the spirits had to adapt too. Although it was widely accepted, there were, of course, a load of stuff that couldn't just be left behind. You will always take something with you, regardless of, of how much you try to rid yourself emotionally of everything that you grew up believing in. They couldn't get rid of the spirits. Like, regardless of how much they tried, spirits sort of translated their way into Christianity by translating into ghosts. Jesus and God is spiritual forces. And people mix that with superstition as well. Like you'll use the Bible to ward off evil demons. And evil demons, like the, the bad spirits we have up here are not mentioned in the Bible. Like you're not going to find Don Nasuk and Rivitut or anything in the Bible. But if you have a superstitious thing happen to you, you know, a Bible is a good ward off for that. What's more? From the 18th century till the mid-20th century, the Danes took a particularly non-invasive approach to colonizing the Greenlandic people. It became very popular at the time to believe in this philosophy of the noble savage. The idea that all men were created equally. And then the Europeans evolved from there and they became civilized, but also removed themselves from the light of God. Lying, cheating, stealing and whoring in big sinful cities. Indigenous people, even though they were savages, they were actually just living the way that the Lord intended us all to live. So in general, the Danes left the Inuits in peace, but also kept them isolated from the outside world. It was not possible to travel in and out of the country, and trading was kept to an absolute minimum, as not to corrupt their purer way of life. There were so many restrictions because it was believed to be the most humane thing to do to a native people. And so for generations, the Greenlandic people pretty much remained hunters and gatherers, untainted by the outside world. That was until... World War II comes along. Denmark is occupied by the Nazis. Left stranded and vulnerable, the two Danish officials who were posted in Greenland at the time decided that they would negotiate a deal with the USA. 
that in order for the US to recognize Greenland as a legitimate partner to negotiate with, they had to form the first government of Greenland. A deal was struck. So in exchange for military protection against the Nazis, the US could mine minerals found in Greenland, which were important for producing aluminium, a super valuable resource, particularly in the war effort. And this deal ended up being incredibly fruitful for the Greenlandic people. For the first time ever, the Greenlandic people were giving any free goods that they wanted. They just sent over a whole bunch of Sears catalogs and then the Greenlandic people could just go, I want that thing. So the kinds of modern conveniences that you could find in American houses, washing machines, toasters, vacuum cleaners, coffee machines, came to Greenland, courtesy of the American government and Sears. Communication vastly improved up and down the coast. They built base posts, radio contact, and often wouldn't mind taking a few people from one place to another via boat. We also got a sense of national identity because up until then, because it's so difficult traveling up and down the coast in Greenland, there really hadn't been any kind of unity. Greenland had become something of an independent country. So while the rest of Europe was burning down, we were doing really good up here. Like, we have our own first proto-government, and we had free trade, and, you know, things were going really great. So life was going well in Greenland. And now that the Greenlanders have been given a taste of the modern world, they couldn't, nor did they want to go back to how things were pre-World War II. Luckily, the Danish government was, was quick to sort of pick up on that. And then they sat down with this proto-government and sort of tried to figure out, what, what do we do from here? And this was with the best of intentions on both sides, like no doubt about it. The thing is that what followed was two decades of absolute disaster. The first decade, right after World War II. They did this whole thing where they wanted to educate the Greenlandic people. Up until then, Greenlanders had very limited access to education. So they were like, okay, how are we going to do this? The children of Greenland are spread all the way up and down the coast, and we can't provide teachers for all of them, so what do we do? Well, let's send off some Greenlandic kids to Denmark and educate them there. It had horrific results. And to understand how they could ever do this in the way that they did, you have to understand that the 50s were a different time a different universe to what we live in today. Just thinking about how children all over the world were treated at that point. You got beaten up in school by your teachers, and the general idea was that children weren't really children. They were just like very early stages of adulthood. And at some point, if you were strict enough, you could transform them into proper adults. And most of them grew up to be very traumatized adults. Children are absolute survivors. And to survive this harsh new environment, they'd often lose their native language and return not being able to recognize their own families. Their sense of identity was shattered. This happened so recently that four children from that first round are still living today. And they continued to do this for years. It got slightly better with each generation, but eventually they realized that as a system, it was unsustainable. Instead, let us modernize the cities, because at that point, people were still living mainly in the small villages. So they wanted to centralize people, and they wanted to create modern housing. 
and, and modern facilities for all of these people. So the government of Greenland started closing down a bunch of villages and settlements that weren't profitable enough. So they closed everything down up there and then moved people. And often you wouldn't have known where you were going. Extended families were split up between different cities. And at that point, there was no concept of how the individual psyche reacted to being uprooted from one place, where you might have been somebody like the main hunter or the carpenter, to being thrown into a big city where you didn't have any sort of identity, where you were just some person. One of the things that is profound to me is the fact that the Greenlandic history is often not fully taught which means that the way that they learn about Greenlandic history is through the trauma that their families experienced. And often, when, when something happened, like when you had to close down a settlement or move kids from Greenland to Denmark, it was often done by Danish hand, like quite physically. When, when you had to move, some sort of Danish official would come out and say, we have to close down the settlement um, and you would have to speak to them to figure out where am I going to live, what's going to happen. So often what was perceived was that the Danish people did this to us. And most often it was done because there was a Greenlandic government who wanted this on behalf of the Greenlandic people. And that makes it so much more difficult to handle today. And that's the thing about Greenland. While the rest of the world was able to leave their myths by the campfire, Greenland modernised so fast that it was impossible for those superstitions to ever go away. The first 200 years of the colony of Greenland was like, went kind of slow. And then within like a second, we went from being hunters and gatherers to being civilised people with long educations and everything in between. It's so crazy. Greenland modernised within the blink of an eye. And with the change so rapid, many aspects of Inuit culture and heritage that didn't quite fit with the modern world were lost. And that's a heavy price to pay. People don't understand how vast it is up here, how amazing and huge it is. And there's parts of our culture that needs to be preserved, that are bound in our nature and our environment. But although it's possible for people to adapt in this way, our beliefs are something much harder to let go of. That's why people won't venture into certain places for fear of the spirits that lurk there. That's why you shouldn't whistle at the aurora. And that's why a politician might rebel against their colonial rulers by way of a cleansing. Today Greenland continues to be a part of Denmark, who takes control of its foreign affairs, currency, civil rights and defence. However, in 2009, Greenland gained self-governance, achieving significant autonomy over the freedom to sign major business deals, manages education, healthcare, fisheries, environment and climate. In the face of adversity, one of the things that I have seen is that people are taking a deep breath and reinventing themselves. Today, Greenland isn't moving further away from its roots. In fact, it's having something of a rebirth and is reconnecting with many of those lost parts. Oh, 
Greenlandic drum dancing, an ancient brand of music and dance, traditionally used for a variety of purposes including entertainment, exorcism and witchcraft, has just been entered for the UNESCO World Heritage. And as well as hearing Greenlandic culture, today if you find yourself a nuke, it can literally be seen on the hands and faces of Greenlanders. There is the art of traditional tattooing, which is coming back. If you go downtown, you see people with traditional facial tattoos. I have both my hands tattooed. I don't know if I will get my face tattooed. I don't know if I'm there yet. But that's something to do with being allowed to embrace your traditional culture without it being seen as something that's like archaic or wrong. Not to like abandon all modern way of living or anything. It's just embracing your own indigenous background. Rather than using machines, the tattoos are made in the traditional way of hand poking and stitching, a much slower process using a single needle. They have a linear style and depict symbols and imagery from Inuit culture. I have amulets on my right hand, hunting amulets. And I use my right hand for like drawing and writing. So for me, this right hand of mine is what brings me bread on the table. And you know what? It's not just the people of Greenland who are finding their place in the modern world. Many of their spirits are too. We're talking about the Qivitok. It's an old myth and it also grounds into modern myths. We are a giant, giant country. So people go missing, unfortunately, all the time. But the most interesting aspect of these stories is when people choose to disappear. I think it's not uncommon in every nationality that people will simply, for whatever reason, be it mental health or you know, it was like he wasn't doing so well, that they will disappear themselves. But here in Greenland, it is very much bound into the idea of the Qivitok, the mountain wanderer. One of the more famous myths that has found new meaning in the 21st century is the mother of the sea. She's called Sesuma Alna. She is a creature that lives at the bottom of the sea and she controls all the animals. The animals would live in her hair and then she would release them onto the community so they could hunt and they could have something to eat. And if you broke taboo rules, it would turn into muck that would go into her hair and she would feel filthy and then she would hold the animals back. And she's really, really interesting because she has become a symbol of global warming and keeping the oceans clean. Now people talk about how we shouldn't put our filth in the oceans to not upset Sesuma Alna and we should take care of the sea ice and everything so that we don't displease her. Spirits have integrated into the modern world so well that you might even bump into one on a night out. If, if you're having a bad day, if you're, if you're going through a tough time in your life and you go out partying to sort of forget about everything, an evil ghost might latch onto you because you are inviting that sort of energy in because you are, you are giving off a negative energy. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go out drinking if you're down on your luck. <laughs> That's not hangovers, honey.
with that shift where we lost some of our traditional beliefs, it was kind of like replaced with something else. And I find that really, really interesting what the monsters mean and how it affects our culture. Because you can't take my superstition away from me. It's been with me my whole life. And it's such a part of my culture. Like when my friends tell scary stories at midnight and I go home and then I don't sleep for five hours because I keep thinking somebody's in the room, you know. Even though I'm an adult lady of 34, that doesn't go away ever. You were saying that when Maria left Greenland, she didn't understand that the rest of the world didn't believe in ghosts. Uyemiwa and Maria, mm. they had to kind of like tell me that they can get a little bit nervous of talking about ghosts with outsiders, you know, even me, because they didn't realize that the rest of the world doesn't believe in ghosts. Why is the politician doing the exorcism of a building offensive well exactly it's like on one hand you could look at it like um a totally legitimate way for someone in greenland to expel the the spirits of you know your enemies or whatever you know it could be seen as something that's like totally legitimate yeah it was pointed it was pointed at a part of greenlandic society you know mm. on one hand it was offensive and, ag- and aggressive and on another hand it may be reinforces some of those kind of like perceptions that the outside world has of Greenland that it's this crazy place where people are sort of you know always <laughs> performing seances of their of you know their political rivals and things like this uh, and that's just not true you know a politician performing a cleansing like that Greenland is probably the only place where that could happen yeah but when you sort of scratch the surface of that it still shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And there's a reason why eight members of parliament pulled their support. That government collapsed within, I think, a couple of months. Take your Ouija board. Yeah. The thing I love is that you have this impression you're headed into, you know, a straight monster story or mon- straight ghost story. But what's amazing is the fact that it's actually the history of a place through its monsters. And a future of a place through its monsters, well, potentially, as well. Th- that's the thing. When you come back to the monsters now, it's for the very same reason that the monsters were made in the first place. To scare you, <laughs> but to make you connected to the place you're in and to look at it in a way as though it's alive as well. Well, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> It's a wild ride. And I mean, incredible characters and just the, yeah, a man. place like that makes incredible people. Yeah, I got... I got I hit gold. Yeah. Straight up. <laughs> totally. Hit gold. Like, and I knew it within <laughs> like the first five minutes of both my interviews. I mean, I've interviewed both of those ladies multiple times, <laughs> mostly just for the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that was. Uh, thank you. Sweet. No, thank, thank you for, you, and thank you for listening and, and, you know, the opportunity in that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll call you, don't call us. <laughs> <laughs> This week's Save Pins aim to help you get the most out of your monster hunting on the world's largest island. So here we go. Number one, Gotthab Brigus. 
the oldest brewery in the country. Gotthab Brigus was established in Greenland in the early 2000s. The largest brew pub in Nuuk is known for its famous Baja and Pularkat beers and the best nightlife in Greenland. It also serves a couple of monsters on the menu, caribou and crocodile meat. Number two, Sarfalik Restaurant. Sarfalik combines the best of the Greenlandic and the global kitchen into a restaurant that reflects the catch and produce of the season. They have an amazing six-course tasting menu, including halibut, cod, snow crab, and more. Number three, Katwak Cultural Center. A waved wooden building inspired by the shapes of the northern lights, Katwak is a cultural venue for the whole of Greenland. It is used for concerts, exhibitions, conferences, and as a cinema. If you want to learn more about the culture of this intriguing place, it should definitely be on your list. Number four, dog sledding in Tassilak. East Greenland is probably the most isolated part of the country. If you want to find the old traditions and the old monsters, this is the place to go. And there are no roads in Greenland, so the only way to get there is to dog sled. Check out greenland.is for all of the adventures you can handle. Number five is Lulisat in Greenland. It's the best place to see the Northern Lights. In the third largest city in Greenland, Lulisat is home to almost as many sled dogs as people. The nearby Lulisat Ice Fjord is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's the best place to see the Aurora Borealis in the whole country. Just don't whistle. If you like the show, please rate and review us in your podcast app. If you do, we'll send you your very own polar bear. And if you don't, well, Billy made really good friends with the Greenlandic spirits. So, I mean, you know, it's up to you. Next week, we're off working on some future episodes. A supreme master who changed the Taipei food scene, how to propose in the most romantic city on earth, and much more. But we'll be here. We're dropping a bonus episode for you, featuring a longer chat with our Greenlandic monster hunter, Maria Kreutzmann. And Los Angeles Dark Encyclopedia Duke Hanny takes us back to Charles Manson. Plus a touching story of how me and Andres actually met. So we'll see you next Tuesday. This week's episode of Passport was written, produced, and edited by Billy Craig and Toon. Huge thanks to Maria Kreutzmann and Uyemiwa Engo for helping us make the show. We'll have all the details in the show notes if you want to check them out. Our theme music is by Nick Turner, with additional stuff by Capes and Francis, Christina Boasen, Lieutenant Fitzgibbon's Men, Serenity, and Music Box. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kuzneski. Stacey Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Abby Lujanski are fjord skating mountain wanderers. They also executive produce the show, which is hosted by myself and a man who isn't afraid to whistle at the Aurora Borealis, Andres Bartos. We'll see you in the next place. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.